Welcome to the Torah Journey Podcast. My name is Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and I've been a community rabbi for over 15 years. During that time, I've learned that the wisdom of Judaism is powerful, but it's not always easy to understand. Our weekly podcast will enrich your journey and give you practical advice about how to apply the wisdom of Judaism to your life. We'll offer you insights based on the Parsha, current events, the Jewish year, and more. This is the Torah Journey Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it truly is great to be back with you. Thank you so much for joining us for another week. We have made it past Purim. And even more significantly, we are standing at the one-year anniversary since coronavirus rocked our world. A year ago, we were in the process of shutting down, and so much of what shaped life for us was fear. Will life ever be the same again? But here's a different way of looking at things. The pandemic today is leading us to new vistas that were unimaginable just a year ago. We're seeing a massive mobilization for the vaccine. The Wall Street Journal reported this week that gene-based technologies have greatly advanced this year as scientists foresee a coming golden age of inoculation and protection against disease. And all this flips conventional thinking on its head. We think of coronavirus as a crisis. And surely it is for those who have died, lost loved ones, suffered economic devastation. But there's another side to this coin. By embracing these challenges, we uncover new possibilities, specifically in the area of health, not to mention other technological advances. And this is a truth that surfaces as we face the virus, but it holds deep lessons for our lives. When we face our most difficult moments, we're bound to get down in ourselves. But on the other hand, by discovering our weaknesses, we open up new opportunities. And to do that, we have to take steps that can seem daunting. We need to look at those weaknesses, our weaknesses, in the eye and embrace them. In today's podcast, we're going to explore what it means to embrace failure. We'll explore how sin and failure can lead us to new vistas of personal growth. These days, we all know about the cancel culture. One of the first people to be canceled in our modern era was Monica Lewinsky. She had an affair with President Clinton, and she was thoroughly trashed through our culture. Now, clearly, as a young intern in the office of the President of the United States, it was not an equal playing field. And still, Lewinsky acknowledges that she stumbled in having this affair. But the media and the entertainment industry relentlessly humiliated and shamed her to agree that nearly drove her to take her life. And here we see a mistake that people commonly make. We tend to take a person and define them by one thing that they have done wrong. Once they did that specific act, it's somehow appropriate to define them by that forever. We see that person as irredeemable. It's an ingrained part of our culture. Just this past week, an article appeared in the Jewish Forward about which Bible characters to cancel. If people like David and others sinned, they ought to be canceled from our culture, the article went on to argue. Now, of course, this idea is antithetical to Judaism. In my earlier podcast, When Forefathers Sin, we discussed how the sons of Yaakov sinned when they killed off the people of Shechem, and it's still not a reason to cancel them. Our sages teach us that the Torah specifically focuses our attention on the sins of earlier generations. Rabbi Yochanan said in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai 
that both the sin of the Cheta Egel, the golden calf, and the sin of David and Bathsheba were both abhorrent behaviors. And yet, the Talmud says that the Torah wants us to focus on these moments. Why is that? And the answer is that once the generation of the calf sinned, any future generation can look back and learn an important lesson. Even after sin, the Jewish people still repented. And the same thing goes for King David. If an individual sins, they can look back at David and learn how this individual found redemption after sin. And so the Tanakh went out of its way to teach us the sins of the greatest generation, the Dorodea, the generation that knew Hashem, and the greatest leader, the anointed King David. Great people sin. And when they do so, they can rebound, and we should want to learn from them. People are not static or defined by one conversation they had, or one moment, or even one month, or one year in their life. But here's a critical question. When we do sin, how do we rebound? What specifically do we need to do? And the truth is that there is a common factor in both the story of the golden calf as well as the story of David and Bathsheba. This week on the Jewish calendar, it's known as Parshat Para, a time that we look toward the Korban Pesach, the holiday of Passover, and we consider Tuman Tahara, ritual purity and impurity. Now, in ancient times, our ancestors would purify themselves in a mikvah in anticipation of the Korban Pesach, the Passover offering. And today, with the Jewish month of Nisan nearly here, we contemplate this time of rebirth. And the para duma, the red heifer, this great cow, was at the heart of the purification process. The para duma was a robust red cow, symbol of physical strength, pulsing, and this great animal eventually was reduced to ashes, mixed with the Mayim Chaim, the living waters, and sprinkled upon the impure person in the purification process. And in ancient times, people would search the land of Israel for the qualifying animal. Why is this cow so significant in the purification process? Now, these laws of the Paraduma are presented in the middle of Sefer Bamidbar. And yet, in those verses, Rashi brings us back to an earlier time the sin of the golden calf. Why do the Jews require a red heifer in their purification process? Rashi offers us a parable. Now, admittedly, it's a bit of a dated parable, but there's an underlying meaning for this, so hang on. Rashi writes, If the son of a maidservant soiled the courtyard of the king, the mother of the son will be called upon to clean up her son's mess. Likewise, the golden calf was a mess in the courtyard of the king. And so too here, the mother of the calf, the heifer, is called upon to clean up the mess. Rashi points out that the paraduma is red, a color that symbolizes sin, reminding us that the Jewish people were completely pure and became red with sin. What is the meaning of this metaphor of a maidservant and her son soiling the courtyard? The underlying message is this. The Jewish people transgressed with a calf. When we return to purify ourselves, 
we don't sweep the calf under the carpet. We embrace it. We grasp the very animal that gave birth to the calf in our redemptive process. Now, we're prone to think that we should sweep sin under the carpet. And contrary to that line of thinking, Rashi suggests we must embrace the sin and bring it to the fore of our redemptive process. We cannot rebound without going directly back to that difficult moment. And this very same idea is at the heart of King David's story. In the 51st Psalm, David talks about his own redemption from sin. Remember that when David saw Bathsheba bathing, he not only had an affair with her, he sent her husband Uriah to his sure demise in the heart of a raging battle. King David was severely reprimanded by Nathan the prophet Natan Hanavi. Natan was sent to give David a parable. There was once a rich man with many sheep, Natan told David. And there was a neighboring poor man with just one lamb who took such good care of this beloved lamb. This one sheep was so precious to the poor fellow. It ate from his plate and drank from his drink that was like a child unto him. And one day a wayfarer came to the rich man in need of dinner, and the rich man did not wish to give up of any of his flock. And he went to the poor guy with the one beloved sheep, and he stole the lamb and served it to the wayfarer. Natan asks David, What is the law for such a greedy person? David is seething at hearing this story, and he declares that this greedy person deserves to die. And this is where Natan turns to David and says, Ata ha'ish, you are that man. You could have had any woman, but you took the wife of Uriah, the poor man with only one wife. How does David respond? In this moment, David says two of the most powerful words in all of Tanakh. V'yomer David al Natan navi and David said unto Natan the prophet, Chatasi Hashem, I have sinned to God. And later in the 51st Psalm, David goes back to that moment. A song by David when Natan the prophet came to him, when David came to Bathsheba, show me favor Hashem, according to your kindness. Heriv kabseni mavoni, abundantly cleanse me from my iniquity. Umechatasi tahareni, and from my sin purify me. da, for I recognize my transgressions. Vichatasi negdi tamid, and my sin is before me always. David then recalls the purification process of the red heifer, asking God to purify him with waters by the hyssop. And David goes on to utter the very verses that now form the heart of our tshuva liturgy. Lave tahor brali elokim. Create within me a pure heart, God. Veruach nachon chadesh bekir be a steadfast spirit. Renew within me. Al tashlicheni milfanecha. Do not cast me away. Veruach kadshachal tikach mimeni. And do not take your whole, your spirit away from me. And David goes on to say, Alam de poshim drachacha. I'll teach transgressors your ways. And sinners shall repent unto you. What a prophecy this turned out to be. David taught future generations of sinners to repent. 
indeed, the 51st Psalm is more or less the template for Alcoholics Anonymous today. And critically, David embraces his sin. He keeps it before him, teaching others to return to Hashem. We think that we sin and then we move on. And the real truth is that we sin, but then we recognize and embrace it. And from that embrace, we learn a new path in life and we help others along the way. Monica Lewinsky was a great example of this. Not only did she step forward and embrace her own shortcomings, but she used her experience of being humiliated to help other people. She said, in effect, yes, when I was this young age, I made such and such a a mistake. But look what people did to me. It's now time to embrace that and make sure that other people aren't bullied in the same way that I was. And so far from trying to ignore that low moment, she embraced it for all of its potential to teach herself and to teach others. Her lowest moment became her shining light. Now, Monica Lewinsky is an extreme example, but as we look toward Pesach, we consider our own redemptive process. Consider your own personal struggles. Perhaps you're beset by worry during the pandemic, or maybe you feel negative and overwhelmed about preparation for the Chag. What happens in your life around Pesach? Does your Shalom Bayat get stressed? A lot of stress can come about in a home around Pesach. Personally, I find myself in a rush to get to do everything on my list, and that could lead me to ignore what's really most important, like just the people around me that are in need of a quick chesed that would be so easy to do. A few weeks ago, I had an experience with a person traveling through town, and upon reflection, I felt like I hadn't embraced the opportunity to do chesed for them in the way I should have, the way that others have done chesed for me when I was young. Indeed, David HaMelech says, Ashrei maskil al-dal, fortunate is he who contemplates the needs of the needy. We all have struggles. They don't have to be huge. But the key is to think about those times and embrace them as part of reviving our Jewish life in the spring of Pesach. Remember, David only wrote the 51st Psalm after he sinned. In fact, the greatest height of all of Jewish history, was immediately after the golden calf. After the sin of the golden calf, the people repented, and Moshe topped the mountain, asked to see the presence of Hashem. And God placed Moshe in a cleft, and Moshe saw God's presence as Hashem revealed his 13 attributes of mercy. And to this very day, the greatest height of the Jewish year is when we invoke the 13 attributes in the closing moments of Yom Kippur on Ne'ilah. And so our greatest height comes from the deepest valley. And today we're on the cusp of Nisan. We're going to have so many opportunities to rise up. We're not static beings. We always have potential for rebirth. As the prophet teaches us in our Haftarah, I shall pour upon you purifying waters, and you shall be purified. I'll give you a new heart. And a new spirit I'll place in your midst. So this Nisan, as we take the first steps towards Pesach, remember the generation of the calf and remember David. Remember people who sinned, embraced their failures and found redemption. 
And remember that you too can embrace your failures in a redemptive process. When you do so, Hashem will place a new spirit in your midst. I'm Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and this is the Torah Journey Podcast. <laughs>